following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. We're in a series entitled, How's Your Soul? How is your soul? And we've been looking at this passage of Scripture found in 3 John, uh, verse number 2, and it says this, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so over the, the past three weeks or so, we have been discussing the importance of your soul. And Pastor Rex started us off telling us that there's nothing in this world that they can offer you that is worth trading your soul in for. And, and he began to explain the importance of the soul. And then we, we learned that we are living on the borrowed breath of God that he literally breathed into us and that's the reason that we have the life that we have and just like our physical bodies that our souls the innermost part of us need to go home from time to time and last week Pastor Rex reminded us uh, on the environment of the soul, if you'll remember, that, that our souls need rest, our souls need responsibility, our soul ne- souls need restraint, and our souls need relationship. And so today, off of his deep message last week, you know, he's, he's such a great preacher, I thought I'm going to have to come today with a very deep theological question to start our time off today. And so I'm going to ask you a question, and this may be above you, I'm not going to lie, this is pretty deep, so I hope you have your boots on, I hope you have a shovel, and, and here we go. Are you nautical? I told you. Are you nautical? Some of you are looking at me thinking, well, Yes, Brad, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I had lots of Nautica clothing. Yeah, you know, I, I, this was, that was me. Yes, I, I, I am nautical. You're not following me. That's not what I'm talking about at all. If Those of you that are thinking, some of you are like, I still wear Nautica clothes. I got it on right now. This is amazing. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. Are you good with boats and stuff? Like, are you good at sailing the sea? Like, if you were just to, you know, you, wouldn't it be romantic if you just rented, like, a sailboat and took your wife? See, that would not be romantic for me because it would, it would turn into a disaster very quickly. So I want to ask you this. Are you nautical? They're growing up, really, one of my favorite pastimes when I was younger uh, was fishing. I was around the water, enjoyed being on the water, you name it, from creeks to ponds to lakes to the coast. If there was an opportunity to go fishing, I would do it. I owned a little small two-man pontoon boat that I could throw in the back of my, my truck, and I could take it and drop it in any little pond. Or I, I fished all the time, and then I had children. And now the closest I get to fishing is that little go fish game, you know, where you catch them with the thing spinning around and you have the little, that's my fishing um, experience today. But, but there was one experience that I want to share with you uh, that, that really sticks out in my mind um, for good reason. But it happened about 10 years ago or so and a group uh, of four of us total from the church decided that we wanted to go to Pensacola, Florida to go fishing. 
This was great. We were excited. One of the, the men in our church, Richard Johnson, was from Pensacola, still is from Pensacola. And he, he grew up there his entire life fishing the, the coastline there, going offshore fishing. And he had come back showing us pictures of just amazing fish that he had caught. And so we get the bright idea that we're going to Pensacola, Florida to go fishing. And so that's exactly what we did. After church on a Wednesday night, we left after church on a Wednesday night because we're committed to the house. We left after church. We drove straight to Pensacola, Florida through the night. We pull up to the dock right as, I don't know, I'm going to say daylight, but it probably wasn't. I don't remember. It's been 10 years. But right in t- we didn't stop. We literally drove straight, straight to where his dad was um, to, to get on the boat to go offshore fishing. And as soon as we get out, his dad comes up to Richard and says, Richard, listen, um, I know y'all have driven quite a ways to get here, but I'm a little leery of what's about to take place because the weather forecast isn't looking so good, and, and I, I, I don't know if we should really take this trip. And we have just driven from Austin, Texas to Pensacola, Florida. I'm going fishing, okay? You can put me by a swimming pool and throw some fake fish in there. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go fishing. So we talked him into taking us out on this trip because we had literally, we didn't sleep. We were going fishing. And so that's exactly what happened. He, he takes us out and we, we get about 20 to 25 miles offshore, okay? So we're not close to land. You know, you like to look at land you don't see land where, when you're, where we were that day. And all of a sudden, um, it starts to rain. Yeah. Really, what it felt like to me, I'm sure it wasn't, and I'm overstating it slightly here, but I'm quite confident that a tsunami blew in in that moment. That it was, um, it was one of those moments where it didn't take long to get really bad. You know, it was like... Wait, it's raining. No, 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 it's not raining anymore. It's pouring now, and now the waves are starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'd been around the water quite a bit, so I was like, I don't know. I'm still early 20s. I feel like I'm invincible. We're going to be okay. And this story escalates quickly. I'm telling you, it escalates very quickly. Things in the boat begin to shift around and slide back and forth. And an ice chest, I'm standing by the edge of the boat, an ice chest comes, hits me in the legs and knocks me overboard. I'm lying, that didn't happen, but that would be awesome if it did, wouldn't it? That would make for a great story. But it began to escalate. I'm telling you, it got awful. Like, I'm holding on to the edge of the boat, and I'm like, oh, great. Literally, I remember seeing, looking back, and seeing the waves. We're down in the bottom of the swell, thinking that the wave is going to crash over me, and I'm going to be shark bait. I remember thinking that. And I didn't really know when to be scared. Here's how I knew to be scared. Are you ready? Richard... If you know Richard Johnson, you you might not know him, but he is, let me give you an example of who he is. Anybody ever heard of Crocodile Dundee? That's Richard Johnson in my life, okay? Literally, he's the kind of person that could go to a remote part of Alaska and a bear would pop out of the woods and try to fight him. I would run, Richard would stay and punch him in the throat and chances are Richard would win. That, that's Richard. Literally, we were hunting one time and we were driving in a Jeep and he, we, we see a snake slither across the path in front of us and we both jump out of the Jeep. We're like, ah! 
And Richard runs straight to the snake. It was probably this big, but for today's, it's, it was like this big. And, and Richard runs straight to the snake, and he picks it up, and he turns to show me, and I'm halfway back to the house, but he literally picks the snake. This is the, the person that I'm talking about. So here's how I know to be scared. I look at Richard, and in his eyes are, this could be the last fishing trip I ever take in my life. When I saw Richard get that scared, I thought, oh, dear Jesus, this is not good. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. Seriously, uh, it, it was awful. But thank the Lord, Richard's dad had navigated the water so many times in his life that he was able to get us back to shore. It took us several hours to navigate back through the weather, but uh, we made it safe and sound. And I'm here to tell you a funny story about me falling overboard that really didn't happen. Uh, but isn't this how life is? It, it got me thinking that... Um, this is exactly how life is. It's fragile from time to time. In fact, Second Peter chapter 3 would say this, since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? And, and the question that I want to propose to you today and ask you today is this, what is it that we hold on to when life gets challenging? This life will be over before we know it. But in the meantime, what is it that you hold on to when you're going through something that you're not sure how to handle? What do you do when it seems like the waves of life are going to sink you? The storms that, that pop up unexpectedly in life that leave you scratching your head. Moments where it, you, your stomach drops, so to speak. Where your, your marriage feels like it's on the rocks, it's breaking down. And you, you feel like you're, you're on the brink of losing your job. Time when it seems like the stabilizing forces in your world are coming unglued. What do you do? Where do you turn? Where do you, where do you go? If one more wave crashes into me, if one more unexpected things happens in my world, if I get one more piece of bad news, literally, it's going to sink me internally and emotionally. I'm going to throw the tie. I can't handle one more piece of bad news. There's got to be more than holding on in this life, white-knuckled for dear life. There has to be more to living this Christian journey. And by the way, it's not just bad things that can get you to this place, right? Success can take you there as well. The things that you've dreamed of, worked for, hoped for, the things that you were passionate about, you finally reach that prominence, you finally get that position only to figure out that it also has brought you to the brink of disaster. What do you do when your soul is experiencing true storms? What do you hold on to? What gives you peace? What does our soul cling to? And it brings me to a passage of scripture that, that Pastor Reed referenced just a few moments ago in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In essence, what, what we're, we're seeing here, the writer of Hebrew is telling us is that what Jesus has done for us is that the cross is our anchor. That when he died for you and he died for me, that is the thing in life that you and I can hold on to. It's the, the stabilizing force for our soul, 
for our mind and for our will. It's not just holding on to the edge of the boat of life for dear life. It's it's not just hoping for the best. No, no, no. There's something more than just holding on and saying, Oh, I hope I make it through this. There's got to be something more. That's not the life that God intended for you to live. And it's this, it's the ultimate security, really, isn't it? The fact that he died for you and I. It's the only sure thing that you and I can really hold on to in this universe. And not only does does the cross give us forgiveness from our past and gives us a hope for a future, but it gives us a hope for today. Because let's be honest, if you don't have a hope for today, what good is a hope for the future if you can't make it through today? We need a hope for today so truthfully what is it that you cling to what is it that you turn to where where does your soul turn in turbulent moments and this very idea uh, that we need an anchor implies something very telling it tells us right it tells us that we need help from the outside It tells us that that oftentimes you and I don't have what it takes internally to deal with everything that life's going to throw with us. And so we need something from the outside to be that stabilizing force and that stabilizing factor. And if you're anything like me, maybe you're you're not, but if you're anything like me, your soul has a, a tendency to drift like a boat on the sea. And the purpose of an anchor is what? What, what, what is the purpose of an anchor? To keep you from drifting, right? To keep you stable, to keep you in one spot. It's an, an agent of stability. What is your anchor? What is your anchor? There, there's a lot of different answers to this question if you really think about it. Our, our go-to answer will be, Jesus is my anchor. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It's easy to say, but what really is your anchor? Some people would turn to, well, you know, my house is paid off. I've got money put away for retirement. Uh, This is looking good. Sometimes the anchor of our souls becomes our jobs, our education, our connections, our prominence, how good we are, how how talented we are. And listen, I'm for all of this, and that's great, that's fine, and that's dandy. But life doesn't always work out the way that we have it planned to work out. Here's the bottom line is that, that... Things that do not have souls cannot aid people that do have souls. Things that that do not have souls cannot aid people that do have souls. Your car will never help you when you're discouraged. It won't sustain your soul even though it has heated seats, a GPS, and, and like 47 cup holders. It's not going to bring you the peace that you need when you find yourself in the middle of a storm. Your house doesn't have a soul. Your job doesn't have a soul. Your your prominence or position does not have a soul. These things don't have the ability to aid your mind, to aid your will, and to aid your emotions. Some might answer, well, my anchor is my man. (laughs) Or my girl. We're we're perfect together. I I mean, we're amazing. Others might say, I'm a family guy. My kids are my anchor. My grandkids, my family, nothing can separate us. Some anchor themselves to their friends. We've been through so much in life that as long as I have them in my life, I'm good to go. And listen, 
Relationships are profitable, and this is definitely a step up from tethering your hope to your 401k. But even this answer has holes. Think about it. Because you're counting on a person who is just as fragile and fragmented as you are to be the stabilizing force in your world. Even this argument, even this answer has holes itself. Many people will go into marriage, right, thinking that their spouses will be their source of stability. They end up hurt and frustrated because they always end up letting each other down. And so they complain, you're never there for me. And uh, an instant response, well, you're never there for me either. And then the old Western standoff takes place and nobody's willing to lower their gun first. It just escalates and escalates. I just, I feel like you don't care. And I feel like you, you don't listen to me. You don't meet my needs or my expectations. I'm not really happy and I'm not really sure that I even love you. Listen. The problem is not lack of love. The problem is impossible expectations. It's the belief that our souls can find ultimate satisfaction in another human being just like you and I. What do you anchor your soul to? What does your soul grab a hold of in moments of difficult situations? We need somebody with a soul for sure. We, we do. We need somebody with a soul. It needs to be a soul similar to ours, a soul that knows our plight, a soul that knows our condition. But at the same time, it needs to be a soul totally different than ours, a soul that is flawless, a soul that has never messed up, a soul that doesn't have to work on itself every single day to get things right. Amen. We need a soul, but it's a soul just like ours, but totally different from ours at the very same time. Enter Jesus I'm talking, about, I'm talking about one who is divinely perfect, who is completely familiar with humanity, who has lived among us, yet lived sinlessly and perfectly. Someone who, who is flawless, but can totally relate to our soul. Someone who transcends us, but is completely involved with us. All I'm saying is, uh, if it's not Jesus, you need to find someone exactly like him. And good luck with all of that. You know, honestly, if we read this passage of scripture, uh, I go to, why did the author say an anchor for our souls? Uh, Like, that's great, but oftentimes I wish he wouldn't have used that, that phrase. You know what I wish he would have said? A helicopter... For my soul. Because when I'm in a storm, quite frankly, I'd rather have a helicopter than an anchor. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? An anchor implies that I'm going to be around here for a minute. That I'm stuck right here in the middle of this storm. And uh, I'm not sure that that's really where I want to be right now. Is stuck in the middle of a rainstorm. No, I I need a helicopter, Jesus. I'd like to be, I I need the Coast Guard. Oh, Kevin, Kevin, uh, what's his name? Costner from that movie where he floats down as the U.S. Coast Guard. I need the little basket that hoists me up and takes me out of my situation so I can escape my reality. That's what I want in moments of, of difficulty. And people, we sign up for helicopter Jesus all the time. I can't wait to follow Jesus because he's my heavenly helicopter. I'm never going to deal with problems or situations. Get me out of here, Lord. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm not sure if I can say that. 
Storms hit and we say, I don't want to stay here. God, you, Jesus, you got to get me out of here. We want to get out. We want an escape. And we say, Jesus, I, I need you to get me out. He said, listen, I'm not going to be your helicopter, but I will be your anchor if you'll allow me to be your anchor. And it brings me to Mark chapter 4. I love this, this passage. It's, it's pretty interesting, really, when, when you think about it. And we find Jesus, again, teaching to a large crowd beside the sea. And he begins to share with them what we now know is the parable of the sower. Cast some seed on some different ground. You know the story. I'll save you the, the, the time for, for reading it to you. And then he moves to teach by the sea a large group of people. He teaches a second parable, the parable of the mustard seed. And after teaching these parables, evening comes and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Listen, it's time to go to the other side. We got to move, we got to go. And on their way, verse 37 says this that a violent windstorm came up and the waves were breaking over the boat so that it was being swamped. Sounds familiar. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion, so they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And so I think we're going to close our time together with this. There's three things that I want us to take away from this passage of Scripture that can help us when our souls, when we find ourselves in storms that are raging beyond what we're capable of dealing with. And the whole passage of Scripture of Mark chapter 4 starts with this. Verse 1 says, Once again, which means this ain't the first time, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And such a large crowd gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it. Here, here's the first thing that I want you to understand. That Jesus is accustomed to life on the sea. He's no stranger to the wind and to the waves that life may bring from different situations. Isn't it that refreshing to know? Think about it. If you were to go have brain surgery in the morning... You probably wouldn't pick a surgeon who, this is their very first surgery that they've ever performed. Did anybody sign up for that? It doesn't matter how much money they're paying you in that medical study. No, I that's my brain. I'm not, I'm not signing up for that one. No, no, no. We want somebody that's been through it, that's been tested, that knows their way around the situation that we're dealing with. And so, Jesus, it becomes very apparent that Jesus is accustomed to life on the sea. Luke chapter 5, Jesus was in Simon's boat, another situation where he finds himself on the sea. And the disciples had been out fishing, but, but not doing any catching. And Jesus says, listen, Go out into deeper waters and cast your net on the other side. Listen, Jesus does good work in the middle of the sea. And then, and then Matthew 14 tells us that, that after feeding the 5,000, Jesus tells his disciples to get in a boat and head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A storm flares up and Jesus shows us, listen, sometimes I don't need a boat to get to you in the middle of your storm. If I need to, I can just walk on this water and get to where you are. It doesn't really matter how high the waves are. It doesn't matter how crazy. No, no, no. Jesus is accustomed to life on the sea. And so as you're going through the storms of life, it's refreshing to know that we're putting and tethering our hope and our trust in one who has been around the sea 
and knows how to navigate. He's, he, he's taught so much around the sea that the waves of life and the winds of turmoil even know and recognize his voice. He's been around. He's not a novice. He's not a rookie. And while you're in the midst of your storm, Jesus is accustomed to life on the sea. And the second thing that you need to understand when you're going through the greatest storm that you've ever dealt with in your life is this, that the severity of your storm doesn't startle Jesus. Verse number 37 says this, a violent windstorm came up and the waves were breaking over the boat so that it was being swamped. And this is hilarious. This makes me laugh. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Picture this. He's out. Night, night. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, I'm confident that he was sleeping on a thin pillow because he had to be a thin pillow man. Jesus loved thin pillows. That, the, so they woke him up, okay? They, they wake Jesus up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't, Jesus, don't, don't you, you care that we're, we're perishing? And here's what you have to understand. Are you ready? Most of these people on the boat had grown up in and around the boat themselves. Most of them were fishermen themselves, which implies that they've been on the water a lot too, and they've experienced some storms that have raged up when they were out in the middle of the ocean fishing. They've seen it happen. But this must not have been an ordinary storm because they're acting like my, my six-year-old and my three-year-old like it happened last week when the, the thunderstorm came. Ah, Daddy! It's raining! Daddy! I heard the lightning. No, you didn't hear the lightning. You heard the thunder. But it's not time for a lesson in meteorology right now. It's 3 a.m. Here's $5,000. Just please go back to sleep. Whatever. And that, I imagine that's what's happening. But it's probably a little more severe, perhaps. And you've got to catch this. Jesus is asleep in the moment where these seasoned veterans, these grizzly fishermen are scared to death. Even the fiercest of storms didn't startle Jesus. Jesus is asleep on a pillow. I don't know where you are. I don't know what storms of life are raging in your world right now. I don't have insight into your marriage. I don't have insight into the doctor's report. I don't know, but here's what I do know. That whatever it is that you're going through right now, Whatever situation is in your world, your situation, your storm has never and will never startle Jesus. He, he doesn't get scared. Huh? Ah! It's thundering and lightning. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how small it is. Jesus is in the stern of the boat and he's resting like a little baby. The, the most severe storms don't startle the Jesus that we tether our hope to. Your storm doesn't shock him. It doesn't petrify him. It doesn't terrify him. It doesn't panic him. No, no, no. He's resting on a thin pillow in the bottom of the boat. Randy, if you'll help me. And the third thing that I want to share with you today that you need to understand when you're, you're going through the storms of life is this. Is that he's waiting on an invitation. Verse 38 says this, so they, they woke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die here? 
And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the sea. Silence, he commanded. Be still. And the wind died down and it was perfectly calm. He's waiting on someone. He's waiting on an individual who is in the middle of a storm. It may be your first storm or you may be a veteran in this thing called storms of life. But he's waiting on someone who will understand that there's just some storms that come your way in life that your voice doesn't have the ability to calm. That no matter how hard you try, you can't fix what's going on in your world. He's waiting on an invitation. He's looking for someone to understand that it's not your voice that garners the attention of the waves and of the sea. It's his voice. He's waiting on an invitation. See, we want an escape from the storm, don't we? We we want to get out. We want to move. We want to be subtracted. But Jesus says, listen, subtraction is not the answer. Addition is the proper mathematic equation for this situation. Why don't you add me into the middle of your storm and let's see what we can't get accomplished together. You're not leaving. You're going to sit here. You're anchored down. But while you're going through this, why don't you give me an invitation into your storm and let's see what happens. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing in this moment. The disciples were tapping Jesus on, Jesus, you got to wake up. You, oh, gee, don't, don't you care that we're, that we're about to die? And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, what? Why, why, why didn't you just ask a little bit earlier? Oh, 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 you thought your storm was going to startle me. You you thought the storm that you were dealing with was going to wake me up. No, 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 no. I'm at peace right now. I'm at at rest right now. Your storm doesn't move me. You know what moves me? Well, you you know what moves me? You move me. When a child, when my child will come down and say, Lord, there's just something that I'm dealing with that I don't have the ability to fix on my own. Your storm will never move me. But you will always move me. I will always hear your voice above the noise of the storm. Will you cry out to me? Will you drop the pretenses and just realize that you don't have what it takes to figure it out? You don't have what it takes to fix it. Listen, why don't you just invite me in? And then it's in that moment when, when you invite me in. Would you stand with me? You know what I wish? You know what I wish I could get across today to the church is that You and I, we have a sleeping giant laying in the stern of our boat. And he's waiting for an invitation into the middle of your storm. And when you invite him in, oh, yes, come on in. Oh, now I can stand up. Because listen, I've been around the seas a long time. I've done this a whole lot. that, That when I speak... The seas and the waves and the wind, they listen. When I speak, the seas calm and the winds shut down. You're going to be here. Why don't you invite me in to the middle of your storm?